You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. God's not the one that moves. And here's the message there. Even Joshua, every day, must make a decision to submit to the king, the commander of the Lord's army. And if he chooses not to, God shows no favoritism. And he will hurt only himself because the Lord will not continue to fight his battles. And he will no longer have victory in life. Many of us are guilty of being stubborn when it comes to the guidance of God's Spirit in our lives. Whether it's a pet sin or a call to move in a different direction in life, we all struggle with the inward battle of the flesh when it comes to obedience. In today's message, Pastor Danny reflects on the obedience of Joshua, whose success for entering the Promised Land counted on it. In our study, we learn the importance of submitting to the Lord daily if we have any hopes of successfully serving in His kingdom. Now here's Pastor Danny in Joshua chapter 5 with part 1 of his message, The Thrill of Victory, The Agony of Defeat. Joshua chapter 5. The Israelites are on the west side of the Jordan River. They are standing in the land of promise. They have experienced the miraculous. And yet, before going any further and uh, seeing the first place of real victory in the land of promise, which is a place called Jericho, God has commanded that they submit to circumcision. All the men who were not circumcised in the wilderness wandering... Uh, Now they would be circumcised. We covered that last week. Circumcision, spiritually speaking, speaks to all of us men and women of allowing God to come into the most personal parts of our lives and cut away the things that are displeasing. Circumcision performed on the part of a man's body that deals with fruitfulness. And so if we are going to be fruitful, circumcision is necessary. They are circumcised, and then they celebrate Passover. Passover, of course, speaks of the lamb slain, and everything centers in the lamb being slain and the blood shed. And after they celebrate Passover, an interesting thing happens. The manna, the supernatural food let down from heaven that they had been fed with all these years of wilderness wandering, it stopped. Why? Because Deuteronomy 8, God said that he would lead them, causing them to hunger and thirst, and feeding them with manna from heaven to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, which has come down from heaven. The manna speaks of Christ, but it's beyond that too. It's learning to trust God, trust his word, 
And it's interesting, Christ, John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh, Christ. The manna stops. What does that mean? It's a sign, I believe, that now they are looking to move on to maturity and with maturity, greater blessing. They've allowed God to deal with the personal parts of their lives, cut away the things displeasing. They've been reminded everything centers in the sacrifice of the lamb. The manna stops. They get the first taste of the produce of the land. But one more significant thing happened, and that's what we want to bridge last week into this week, and that is chapter 5, verse 13. Let's read it one more time. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is Christ. This is the angel of the Lord. One of my favorite verses of all those you find of the angel of the Lord appearing in the Old Testament is 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 35. And it simply says, the angel of the Lord went out and he slew 185,000 Assyrian warriors, enemies of Israel. It says Israel got up the next day and they looked out and there were all the dead bodies. And the commander of the Lord's army is the one who took care of their enemies. Now I noted and I underlined it's a drawn sword. It's a drawn sword. Commander of the Lord's army, he comes out with a drawn sword. It's not a sword in the sheath. It's a drawn sword. He's headed for battle. And Joshua says, are you for us or for our enemies? Interesting answer, neither. And we covered that last week, title of the message last week, whose side are you on? God's not the one that moves. And here's the message there. Even Joshua, every day, must make a decision to submit to the king, the commander of the Lord's army. And if he chooses not to, God shows no favoritism. And he will hurt only himself because the Lord will not continue to fight his battles. And he will no longer have victory in life. And now we're ready for chapter 6. And Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. The people on the inside of Jericho... Even though they fear the God of Israel. We know that. Remember Rahab, when the spies come in, she tells these spies, Oh, we know about your God. We've heard about your God for years. And they feared him. And yet they were not willing to make peace with him. And so what do they do? Shut the gates. We got walls. God can't get in here. 
They shut him out. Only Rahab had the faith, and because of her faith, her family ended up getting saved. So here's Jericho, all shut up. And God says, The Lord said to Joshua, See, I've delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of it, in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the people will go up. Every man straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest, said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Have seven priests carry trumpets. So he gives them the instructions. Uh, They got it. They began to do it. Verse 12. Joshua got up early the next morning. The priest took up the Ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the Ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the Ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to camp. They did this for six days. Now, let me summarize just a bit. Seventh day, they're to do it seven times. And one of the things God commands them as they're doing this day after day is don't say a word. Just a little side message there. Why? Ten out of twelve spies, 40 years before, because of their faithless mouths, kept a whole generation from the promised land. And so God tells this generation, don't say anything. Because all it would take is one person. Why would he have to do this again today? And why on the seventh day seven times? And have you seen those walls? There's no way we're going to have. What are we doing? This is crazy. But doing it God's way doesn't make sense to anybody else. It's a faith thing. So they march around. Seventh day, they march around seven times. Verse 16, the seventh time around. When the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared. Because she hid the spies we sent by faith. And then he says this, verse 18. You don't want to miss this. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver, the gold, the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. Seventh day, seventh time around, sound the trumpets, people shout. Walls fall, they go in. Yeah! Man, what a great victory. End of the chapter, God warns that any man who would rebuild Jericho would do so at the cost of his firstborn son. Years later, a guy did it, ignored God's prophecy, lost his firstborn son. Don't mess around with God. And then you get to chapter 7. Opening line. But... Whoa, stop there a minute. Early on in my Christian life, I'm at Liberty University, 
Liberty Baptist College at the time, one of my professors, my Bible professors, and, and I'm, I'm so green, I don't know anything. And he says, he says, he's reading this verse and it says, therefore, and he says, he's, okay, stop. And he says, whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, you need to find out what it's there for. And I'm like, I understand that. I get that one. Okay, right here. But, whenever there's a but, but, I mean, here they are, great victory. Jericho, walls fall, they go in. But, the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. But they don't know at this point that God is upset. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the people will have to go against Ai. I sent two or 3,000 men to take it. Don't weary all the people. There's only a few men there. So about 3,000 men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai who killed about 36 of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. They're emotionally distraught. They're perplexed. What in the world is going on? Just had tremendous victory. And now this small little place called Ai, not even a walled city. And they get their tails kicked. Joshua falls down before the Lord. Oh, God, what is going on? And why did you lead us out here just to be defeated by our enemies? What about your name? And you pick it up. Chapter 7, verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. Get up. Not a time to pray. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They've taken some of the devoted things. They've stolen. They've lied. They put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I'll not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. And then verse 13, he says, go tell them, consecrate yourselves. That's why it shouldn't be odd or uncommon for Christians to make fresh commitments. Because it's so easy, isn't it? To mess up. Sometimes after you had a great week, and man, you're really living for the Lord, and then all of a sudden, and that's what happens here. Joshua tells them, beginning in verse 13 in the morning, present yourselves tribe by tribe. And God knows who's done it. God knows his name, not God knows his family. God knows everything. But Achan does not come clean. And you just go, what? But he doesn't. Verse 16, er, 16, early the next morning, Joshua had Israel come forward tribe by tribe. Judah was taken. The clans of Judah came forward. He took the Zerites at this point, Achan's getting really nervous. He had the clan of the Zerahites come forward by family. Zimri was taken. Joshua had his family come forward man by man. And Achan, 
Achan was pointed out, you're the guy. Joshua says, give glory to God. That's like saying, hey, you're caught, dude. You might as well come clean. And he confesses now. Verse 20, Achan replied, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia, 200 shekels of silver, a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They're hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sends some guys. They go and get it. They get the loot. Bring it. And then you'll be happy I'll just summarize the end because they take Achan and his whole family, which tells us they had full knowledge of what he did and didn't do anything about it. And they take him out and they stone him to death. Aren't you glad you're a New Testament Christian? God had warned. You do this and you are liable to destruction. And he did it anyway. He did it anyway. You ever watch those movies? And the, and the person is heading where the monster is. And they've been warned the monster may be down there. And you go, why are you going that way? Don't you know there's a monster down there? Or whatever it is. And they're going, you're just going, are you, are you, can you really be so stupid? And you sometimes want to yell at the TV. If, you, if you're by yourself, you do yell at the TV. Are you so stupid, really? Don't do that. And they do it. The thrill of victory. The agony of defeat. That's what I titled the message. Achan experienced both. King David experienced both. String of victories. Then one night, one night he goes out. He should have been off in the battle. But he looks out. Taking a break. Having to be spring. It's a spring break. A lot of people get in trouble then. Sees Bathsheba. Has a one-night stand. And then one sin leads to another. In my men's group Wednesday night, and in our men's groups this past Wednesday night, I added an extra discussion question to the section of the book that we were to read for last Wednesday, the book called All In by Mark Batterson. And here's the question that my group spent most of our time on in discussing. Here it is. If someone followed you with a video camera for a month and recorded everything you said and filmed everything you did, what do you think they would say your life is all about? And to try to get a bunch of guys to discuss that is a challenge. (laughs) But we started getting into it. And where it led us to was... Hebrews 4.13, where Hebrews 4.13 tells us that in God's sight, nothing is covered. Everything is uncovered. The word really means naked before him. That took my thoughts back to the first sin ever committed. Recorded in Genesis chapter 3, our forefathers, Adam and Eve. And when they sin, and remember, they're in paradise. And it's a perfect marriage. And they don't even have clothes to buy. And it's okay. They're running around naked in paradise all day. Until they sin. And they sin. And they realize, oh, we're naked. We need to clothe ourselves. And they took fig leaves. which tell you they were in a hurry, man. Because fig leaves are not fruit of the loom. And they cover themselves 
and God comes. Here's what it says. God comes looking for them. And he calls out, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, well, I sinned. I realized I was naked. And so I hid. You're not getting it. You play hide and seek with your kids, you know. And you win some and you lose some. Play hide and seek with God. Here comes God. I wonder where they are. What, what, where in the world could they be? Man, I can't find them anywhere. You can't ever win playing hide and seek with God. There is no such thing as secret sin. There's no such thing. Because God sees all. God knows all. And so I asked my group, as we're talking about this, so why do we do it? Why do we do it? If we know God's watching, if we know we're going to be held accountable, if we know, have any sense to know that this is not good for us, why do we do it? And of all the discussion you could have, it really comes down to John chapter 3, verse 19, and here's what it says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. That's it. Do you realize the evil of the love of money? I don't know if it bothers you, but if you just don't think about it deeply, the judgment on Achan can seem a little severe. I mean, come on. It's just a road from Babylonia. It's just some money, you know. I mean, come on. And he has to die? And his whole family is destroyed? I mean, you read in places like Leviticus chapter 10, and, uh, and Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, they offer unauthorized fire before the Lord, and God takes their lives. And you go, whoa. Uh, David leading the children of Israel. Uh, they've recaptured the Ark of the Covenant that's been in enemy hands for years. And here they come, and the Ark is on a cart being pulled by oxen, and the oxen stumbled, and so this Ark is tottering, and Uzzah, Uzzah, who's accompanying the Ark, he reaches out to steady the Ark. God takes his life. And you go, whoa, is that fair? Here's what I find God does throughout the Scriptures. God reminds us of how holy he is and how sinful we are. I don't think we really appreciate, including myself, how sinful sin really is. You know, I have a hard time really coming to terms with it, but one sin can send the person to eternal damnation, just one. Lamentations chapter 3 says, but for his mercies we would be consumed. And so if we all got what we deserved, we'd all be damned. You say, I don't know, I think that's a lot of Old Testament stuff. Acts chapter 5 in the early church. What a great time to be a part of a church. And miracles are happening. And you got the best Bible teaching on the planet at the time. you got the apostles. And Ananias and Sapphira, as the Holy Spirit is moving people to sell a piece of land that they didn't really need. It's just extra, you know. And bring the money and give it to the church for the kingdom work. And Ananias and Sapphira, Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of land. But when they get the money in hand, they think, well, we don't have to give all of it, do we? I mean, I know it's extra. We don't really need this, but, but, and the Lord told us to do it, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep back. And one by one, they come in. And Peter has had a word of knowledge from the Lord of what they have done. And he asked him, Is this the amount you sold the land for? Is this what you got for it? Yeah. God takes their life. 
There's much more to learn from the book of Joshua, so be sure to tune in next time for another edition of The Living Word. If you missed any part of today's teaching or would like to explore more of Danny Hodges' messages from the Bible, visit ccfstpete.church and click on Sermons. You'll be directed to our YouTube page, and we'd love for you to subscribe. When you do, you'll be notified by email every time we post a new message. If you have any questions for us about what you heard today, please email us. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. We're so privileged to be able to pray for you. You can connect with us on social media as well. Find The Living Word on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and jump into the conversations there. Find links to all of these at our website, ccfstpete.church. And if you happen to be in the St. Petersburg area, We want to meet you. Every message you hear on The Living Word comes from a teaching Pastor Danny has shared at Calvary Chapel Fellowship, and you're invited to join us for our weekly services. Our church is filled with imperfect people, being made holy by our perfect Creator, and we know that you'll fit right in. Join us Saturday at 6 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. to worship God, read His Word, and get to know each other better. Find directions at our website. Again, that's ccfstpete.church. With that, our time with you has officially come to an end. Join us again next time for more from the book of Joshua, right here on The Living Word.